yeah, Julian personally thanked me this past week for putting him on scripture reading for this Sunday. So thank you for um, yeah, thank you for doing that, brother. That was that was a hard one. Uh, but at, at this time, uh, I just want to uh, send off the kids uh, to have their own time of ministry, uh, spending time in God's word. Okay. All right. So, um, we've been in our series on Nehemiah. This is a bit, it's a bit loud. Yeah. Yeah, we've been in our series on Nehemiah. Uh, and uh, today will be actually uh, the, the last uh, in this series before we take a break uh, with. Pastor Matt coming from next week to preach through three weeks on scripture. But uh, so I have an iPhone, as you can see. I've had an iPhone since uh, the iPhone 1. Uh, some of you have an Android, some of you don't have an iPhone. And my desire right now is not to incite some kind of debate as to the pros and cons of Apple versus Android. Um, in fact, I was really close last year to jumping ship. Um, but I just couldn't do it. I just got trapped into the, the Apple ecosystem. I had too many Apple things. So I couldn't do it, but uh, let me tell you one of the things that I've really appreciated about Apple uh, is I, I think in one of their recent updates, they implemented this widget. And what this widget is, is uh, it takes photos from your whole library and just randomly over time, it resurfaces uh, just photos from the past. And it's really great because it helps you to relive right, these old memories uh, that you've kind of totally forgotten about. Um, really incredible memories. Um, so I just want to show you a couple that surfaced on my phone uh, this past week. If we could. So uh, yeah, this, this first photo, that, that's the day that I got baptized. <laughs> and you might recognize some of the people from our church uh, in this photo. Um, next photo is uh, something that I'd never ever before seen on um, a Sunday. Uh, it's someone who shall not be named uh, with their feet up, just on the, on, on the seat in front of them. Uh, this person was very pregnant at the time, I think, so their feet were quite swollen. If you can't really see it here, but if you look closely, you can see a little smiley face drawn on, on their feet. Um, and next photo, uh, that's just the photo of the day that I proposed to Heidi. And, you know, we came back home and there was a nice little surprise waiting for us. Uh, balloons and my family gathered around us and we celebrated uh, that engagement. And, you know, it's just, it's so great whenever you see any of these photos because it really, it's, it's really heartwarming, isn't it? Right? Uh, it feels like it was yesterday, even if it was years and years ago, as, as you saw in, in some of the photos. And it doesn't make you think. It makes you think about how quickly uh, these moments, even if they're profoundly powerful, how quickly they kind of fade off into the past. Right? These memories, 
fade off into the distance. But every time you see a photo like this, it rekindles those memories. And they can be pretty emotionally stirring, right? These photos, they really help us to appreciate uh, what's happened in the span of those years. Right? How you've grown. The different trials that you've had to en endure. The accomplishments. But really, most of all, how God has been good to us in this time. And sometimes reliving these memories, uh, I think they, they, they give us perspective in life, right? Uh, you might have been wrestling with something for many years, and you finally come out the other end of that. Uh, or sometimes we really need that perspective, right, as we retell these stories to ourselves. And this morning, as we come to Nehemiah uh, chapters 8 and 9, we see a community of exiles who need this perspective, right? They've been in exile for you know, decades, 70 years, and they've come back. The walls have been rebuilt, but they need to be rebuilt. Right? They need to see how they've come through the trials, through the accomplishments. And most of all, they need to retell and relive how God has been good to them. And they don't have iPhones right, to do that, obviously, but they have the Word of God. They have two uh, seemingly mundane things, right? two actually miraculous things to help them retell and relive their stories. The Word of God and prayer, and uh, those two things are going to be our two headings for today as we go through these two chapters. So chapter 8 um, tells us about learning and living God's Word. And chapter 9 tells us about prayer uh, that gives us perspective and promise. And that's what I want us to learn and emulate this morning, uh, like the people in Nehemiah's day, to gather around God, uh, to live out his word, and to pray for his promises. So before I do that, will you uh, just join me as I pray? Good Father, uh, we want to learn from your word today. We want your word to shape us and to change us, to make us more like your son and to point us to you, to motivate us to walk towards you. Help us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to speak, uh, even if it's you know, not that great. Uh, use a weak vessel such as myself uh, so that you may be glorified. Your people would gather around you uh, and worship you. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, learning and living the word. That's the first thing, right, in chapter 8. So we, we begin with a scene, right? There's this assembly of people, maybe tens of thousands of Israelites. They're gathering in the newly walled city. And there is a small detail. There's a really vital detail that you might have missed if you weren't paying attention. And um, I want to see if you can pick it up again as I uh, read verses 1 to 8 for us in chapter 8. This is what it says. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they had heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. 
And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, uh, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, a whole bunch of Levites helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So the detail that I hope you picked up as we just uh, scrolled through those verses again is who initiated this whole thing? Who initiated this whole meeting uh, for the Bible to be read to the people? It wasn't uh, Ezra the priest. It wasn't Nehemiah. Who initiated this meeting? It was the people. Right? The people told Ezra, bring out the Bible because we want to sit under it. We want to soak in it. We want to listen to it. We want to learn from it. See, the people didn't want to be rebuilt in any other way. Not by you know, amazing rulers or even these walls. They wanted to be rebuilt and ruled by the Word of God. And what does that look like? Well, there's a couple of things that we see here. Uh, number one, the Word is made central. Right? The Word is not just one of the many things that are happening on this day. It's not one of the many things that's just going on. It's central. It's the thing that's going on. Visually, uh, they've carved out this big wooden platform. It's kind of like an old school pulpit. right? And the people's eyes are fixed on the person, on, on Ezra the scribe, reading the Word. And it says in verse 3 that their ears are attentive. Right? The Word of God is central to this whole day. Number two, the word of God is read and it's taught. It's read by Ezra, but it's also read and taught by uh, these small group leaders that Ezra you know, brings along with him, this you know, group of small group leaders whose names are really hard to pronounce. Uh, Ezra brings these guys along to help him read and, and teach the, the word of God. Verse eight, it's a re really wonderful verse. It says, they read the word of God clearly and they gave sense to it. It means you know, they gave context to the Bible. It means that they took the word and tried to teach what it means to just everyday life. And, and finally, the word is central. The word is read and it's taught. And finally, the word is understood. Right? The word is understood. The people learning the word, but they're not just learning the word cognitively. They're understanding the word. Right? It's not just concept conceptual. It, it grips their hearts, right? they're touched by the truth of God's word, and it leads them to worship, it leads them to proclaim, amen, and that's true. We've seen the rest of chapter 8, as the people spend you know, days you know, just in the word, soaking in the word, uh, they start to mourn, right? the people start to mourn, because when they heard the word, they knew instantly that they had strayed from their God. 
And that's, that's a good reason to be broken before the Lord. But at the same time, they also celebrated because even as they mourned, the leaders reminded them, today will not be a day of mourning. But today, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So celebrate. And that's what the Word of God does for us when it's made central. When it's read and it's taught and when it's understood, it breaks down our pride. It breaks down our sin. It breaks us. It creates in us a mourning. And if you've been straying from the Lord this morning, my prayer and my hope is that it's doing the same thing to you. At the same time, it, it points us to Jesus. It points us to the joy that is our true strength. Not in anything of this world, not in ourselves or our own accomplishments. Uh, the joy that is our true strength, Jesus Christ. As we relive these experiences of remembering uh, who God has been to us. And I think we uh, all know somewhat what that feels like, right? So my, my, my cousin, uh, who I grew up with, he grew up with in, in Australia, he, he very quickly took a flight this week and he flew from the States uh, to, to Australia because uh, my, my grandmother was actually quite sick. So uh, a bunch of our family members flew down this week and I was just spending time with him. He's more like a brother to me. Uh, and we were just catching up. We were reminiscing about the, the many dumb things that we did growing up, right? You know, getting, getting lost in the woods, uh, you know, kicking each other, you know, skipping school and, you know, getting caught, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, but, you know, these are the same stories that we'll reminisce every time we get together. And I believe all of us have, you know, that group of friends, right? We, we all have a group of friends where you retell the same stories, like over and over again, you know, 10 times, 100 times maybe. You know, we used to do this in high school. You know, remember that time, you know, we got you know, lost in the woods and found our way out. Remember that time, uh, you know, we you know, you know, played that you know, sport together and we, we overcame uh, the odds. You, you just keep retelling the same stories and it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's joyful each time you tell them. They don't get old, right? Why is that? I think there's something really human about it when we do that. I think there's a rekindling of the relationship that you have with your friends uh, in a way that tangibly brings the past into the present when we do that. It's not just reminiscing the past. There's a tangible impact on the present. And when you retell these stories, when you relive the past in this way, it adds fuel to the bond that you already have you know, with that friend, the bond that exists between you and this other person. And it's not just fun, it's important and it's vital. You know, that's why we retell the same stories again and again. And God's Word does exactly that. Every time you know, we come back to the story of God, we're, we're meeting Him you know, all over again. We're being drawn back to Him in a way that rekindles our relationship with Him, in a way that tangibly impacts our present selves in our present circumstances. It's not just remembering and reminiscing. It impacts our present. The Word of God always serves us well. 
and drawing us back to God. And we would do well to remember, to retell and to relive God's grace to us often. And what's happening here, you know, every Sunday or in our small groups as we gather around God's word, as we look at God's word, as we learn God's word, as we understand God's word, it may seem really mundane and not very miraculous at all. But just like we see in this text, we should not take for granted that the people ask to know God's word. Or you should not take for granted that you've come here today out of your own choice. We should not take for granted that the people teach each other the word of God. We should not take for granted that the people understand and respond to the word of God. And that's God at work. You know, without him, this doesn't happen. And if you have learned anything this morning, if my words, you know, as we look at God's word, if that's even moved the needle of your heart slightly, then God is at work in your life. And we cannot have a low view of what's happening as we sit in these chairs, as you hear the Bible read and taught, there is a rebuilding happening from the inside out that God does when we make his word central in our gatherings. And in our lives Monday to uh, Saturday, when we remember and retell and relive God's word together. You know, this is a way to deep change, not the kind of shallow change that we might have been struggling with or we've experienced in the past. God's word, retelling it, reliving it together. So that's the first thing. But secondly, uh, prayer. Like prayer which gives us perspective and promise. We come to chapter 9 and um, that's the second miraculous thing that we see that rebuilds these people. And if the first call to be rebuilt is a call to learn and to live God's word, the second call is a call to prayer. Because prayer gives us perspective and promise. And we see this in verse 5 of chapter 9. Uh, the leaders call on, upon the people. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. It's pretty, pretty pointed, pretty direct. Stand up, you know, don't, don't remain sitting. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And... Uh, I don't know if you guys remember us going through this passage uh, maybe about four months ago, right after um, I had just come back from New Zealand. Um, verse 6 to 31, it's all about God. Their prayer is all about God. It's all about how God is the sovereign creator of everything. It's all about how gracious he is, how compassionate he is, how generous he is, how patient he is, how holy he is, all towards the people who have turned their back on him time and time again and have strayed from him. You know, every time, uh, every so often, you, you get really amazing passages like this in the Bible that just recount the whole Bible story. But let's not forget that this is a prayer. And if you have a Bible that has you know, any kind of references in it at all, uh, you'll notice that almost every line of this prayer, it's a reference to somewhere in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. It's what they've just been reading in chapter 8. And this is what we need to understand. The people, they're not just reading 
and learning and understanding God's Word. They're praying through it. They're praying through God's Word. See, they've understood the Word and they've gained the necessary fuel and perspective to pray. And how often do we find it hard to pray? Right? How often do we struggle to muster up the words? Especially when we're you know, going through a, a distracting season, or a season of you know, immense tribulation and suffering. Well, this is the way to start. By praying through God's word. It gives us the fuel. It gives us the language to pray. When we look at these people in the past, today they gave you. Today they were attentive. But in the past, they would not give you. Right? But today they're praying, let us hear the promises of God again. Let's pledge our lives to him again. And that's exactly what they do from uh, verse 32 uh, to 38. I just want to read that for us. This is after this you know, extravagant 25-verse uh, prayer, just all about God. This is what they say. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. And it's the final verse. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document in the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So, you know, the people have read and learned and understood God's word. And that's produced this mourning and celebration in them. And next, that leads them to actually pray, right? To, to, to relive through verbal action, right? To, to actually proclaim who God has been. And now, verse 30 to 38, the people are saying, God, hear us. It's who you are. We're slaves. We're in distress. We're on bended knee. Our packs are broken. And it's not your doing, it's our doing. Save us. Keep us. Strengthen us and grow us. That's what you promised. And your promises, we will find the joy and the strength to keep ours. Now, have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever prayed, uh, God, please help me. Please just help me live for you uh, all my days. I fail to do that. It's not your doing, it's, 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 it's my doing. 
Save me, Lord. Keep me. Strengthen me, God. Help me. You know, I, I know that I've prayed those prayers personally. Um, and if I could be really honest with you, I'm sure you guys have prayed those prayers too. I find it to hard to be enthusiastic about praying those prayers, even as I you know, say, this is how they pray, this is how we should pray. Because a lot, of, a lot of the time we pray those prayers and they don't seem to work. They don't seem to do much. You know, we still get stuck in those same cycles of sin and slavery. That's what these people are uttering. I think that's true for many of us today. It's true for these people too. And so what do these guys do? In, in the final verse, chapter 9, they make a covenant. And the covenant is like the sealed legal document. And they make this huge deal out of it, right? And we're going to keep our end of the bargain. We're going to get our, our, our kings, our princes, our, our priests to sign it. We're, we're going to be God's people, finally. You know, we don't want to be stuck in the cycle anymore. Let's put our signatures on it. Let's put our seals on it. This is a covenant that we make. And here's the thing. You know, this document, uh, it doesn't go a very long way for them. This document doesn't go very long, neither does the promise that they make to God. And we'll see this as we close out this series after the break, this final chapter. The cycle continues. Uh, the cycle of sin and slavery, it continues. They made a promise to God, made a big deal out of it, they prayed this prayer only to do it again. And what they had hoped for Seeing the city rebuilt, it doesn't come to be. And I think this is something that we can relate to, right? You know, praying these prayers, you know, being stuck in this cycle. So what do we learn from these guys? They wanted to see their city rebuilt, and it doesn't come to be. Not until centuries later, right, when Jesus Christ himself walks into Jerusalem, to the rubble of the city, and he gathers God's people one last time, like Nehemiah. And he doesn't read to them the Torah. He comes to them to be God's final word. He comes to them as God's word. And when we look at Jesus as the word, when we look at the cross that he died on, you know, just like our sister Lydia led us in worship this morning, what we're doing is we're retelling, we're remembering, we're reliving the truth that God's judgment is real. It's not just some lofty idea that we just reminisce about. God's judgment is real. There is a price to disobedience. There is a price to breaking your promise to God, to a holy creator when you said that you would do that thing, and, and going back on your word, there is a price to that. And the price is that we would be dead, not just bodily, but we would be dead. You know, think of that often used phrase, you know, you're dead to me. When you, when you, say, when you talk about someone being dead to you, it's not just, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're literally physically dead, but you, you don't want to have anything to do with them. Like they're cut out of your life. And the consequence of our promise breaking to holy God is that we would be dead to him. That we would be dead to the one who created us to know him. To find satisfaction in relationship with him. To be known by him. 
in his perfect love. When we look at Jesus, when we look at the cross that he died on, uh, we, we are retelling and remembering and reliving the truth that God's judgment is real. But at the same time, the, cr- the cross, it also retells and helps us to relive that we've been rescued from that judgment. We've been redeemed from it. Jesus paid our price. See, his resurrection, the fact that the tomb is empty, it reminds us that the promise of eternal life that God gives to us, it's not sealed by a covenant that you and I make. It's not sealed by, you know, that season or that moment in your life when you were on your knees and you were crying and you were so desperate for the Lord and you felt so sincere and genuine. It's not by our words, which we honestly fail to uphold and we go back on all the time. It's sealed by the resurrection. It's sealed by what God has established. It's sealed by God's covenant with us, not the other way around. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, for all the promises of God, all the promises of God, find their yes in him. He's talking about Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us. Hear that language of covenant and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. See, there it is. The people in Nehemiah's day, they heard God's word and they said, Amen, Amen. And they went to these great lengths to create and draft up and seal this covenant with their stamps and with their words. You know, but as Christians today, we're not calling on Ezra the priest to, to give us God's word. We're not even calling on David, right, the, the pastor, to give us God's word. We're calling on God himself because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit. God, give us your word. And even as I speak today, I invite you to ask God to give you his word. It's not going to be by the eloquence of my words. It's not going to be by how convincing, how interesting my illustrations are, that you would receive God's word. But it's by his covenant, it's by the promised Holy Spirit that he sealed upon your heart. And so when we're doing that, we're saying, God, please tell us the good news again. I want to hear it. Like, I long to hear it in my distress, in my depression, in my despair. Make my heart sing again. When's the, when's the last time your heart really sung in praise, in delight, in affection and adoration towards God? Make my heart sing again. Holy Spirit, put in my soul a glad song, such that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we do this, even if it feels unenthusiastic, even if it feels like it's not that much, we ask with assurance. We ask because God's promises to us aren't dependent on what we've said to him, on what we've done for him. God's promises are dependent on the covenant that he has made with us in Christ and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's why we can ask in assurance every time. 
And if you're here today and you trust in Jesus, you're here today because God has sealed his covenant uh, upon your heart. And what we're all doing now as we gather, as we sit under God's word, as we pray, is that we are retelling and we're reliving our story. That's what we're doing. We're relearning our identity. We're rekindling our relationship with God. God is at work. And you cannot underestimate what is happening, even as you sit in these chairs right now. And we need some sense of awe and reverence when we come before a God who is working based on his covenant, based on his promise in his people. We need some reverence and awe when we come before this God who is at work in our gatherings. And God is at work rebuilding us from the inside out every time we sit under his word and we pray. And that's his promise to, to us, not ours to him. I know as Aussies, we're pretty laid back right, as a people. I know as Aussies, we don't really have a reverence for, for much of anything, right? But this is different. Um, and I, I'll be a little pointed here. I'll be even a little rude here. Um, and may, maybe that's why many of us rock up to church 15 minutes late. Uh, because, you know, what you think is happening here is dispensable. That it doesn't really matter. That God's word is not powerful. That God's word does not retell and relive who we are in Christ. And that God's word doesn't really matter. That praying together doesn't really matter. And, you know, I want to say that I can relate. Like, I'm, I'm not speaking down to you, uh, Sometimes I, I legitimately question whether I would, whether I would be here on time. You know, if I, if my job wasn't to be here on time and to to, to, to preach God's word, to you know, to lead, to pray. I think more often than not, like I, I would struggle, uh, like many of you guys, all of you guys, at various times to be on time. I think I have thought of what's happening here as dispensable as not really powerful. And it's interesting because I think for all of us, we find it much easier to turn up to work on time. We find it more doable to organize our days around you know, a birthday party or you know, an event uh, or planning a holiday, for instance. So much energy goes into that, so much you know, precision goes into that. You know, rather than organize one day, to come humbly before God, to sit under his word, to give and to receive prayer in the gathering. And I want us to realize that I'm not just talking about the behaviors, you know, I'm not just talking about the surface level stuff, that, yeah, that, that's important, but what's, what I care about more is like, What's beneath that? Are we a people who are humble and teachable in our desire to sit under God's word? Are we a people of prayer? May every time we sit together in this room, I think if we have that posture, we will change deeply. See, God has made a covenant with us in Christ and you know, I want to say, wherever you are, wherever you are in relation to God, 
What that means is the gates to the walls of this city, his city, they're not shut. And God is inviting you to come back to him. God is inviting you to turn away from strain, to come to him. The doors are wide open. And so I want to ask you, as we end our time today, if you could close your eyes. And if you're willing, if you might pray this prayer with me, um, as the people in Nehemiah's day pray. And you can just follow along with me. I just, you know, inside. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, you who keep covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship that we have endured seem little to you that has come upon us. Why? Because you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. O God, make us a people of your word. God, make us a people of prayer. Rebuild us, not just our city walls, not just our structures. Rebuild us, God, from the inside out. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen. Okay, well, uh, that's it for our... Um, service today. I'll just share some announcements.